Greetings everyone and welcome to the 164th edition of Cinema Effect After Dark. I'm Zach and I'm joined by my fellow Hans Zimmer appreciator Jaden. Howdy. Pleasant evening. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Except we're all about to fall asleep. Well, Jaden is for sure. And uh, we've also got John Cena, JC, Cinema Effect's most popular member of Letterboxd, aka Fitzy, aka Liam. Hello. Good um, night, good afternoon, you yeah. know. Well, it's definitely not afternoon. Are you trying, are you trying yeah, to get How can I not say, how can I say goodnight? Because goodnight sounds like something yeah. you say when you go to sleep. Yeah, good evening. Yeah. Good evening, yeah. Okay. How many After Dark episodes is this? Is this like third, fourth, maybe? I think, I want to say it's a bit more than that. Like, it, we're, I think we're in fifth or sixth territory at this point. Really? I need to go back and count. Yeah, I actually, honestly, in all seriousness, I do want to actually go back and count figure that out so then I can intro it that way just for why not. Um, but then I'd have to remember every time. And that's a whole other thing. Um, but, yeah, fun stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Cinema Effect, the podcast, where we review and talk about a different movie every single Monday. And this week, that movie is Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1, which opened in the US on July 10th, 2023. Uh, this is actually the first time on IMDb, I think, well, at least obviously not for a non-Australian film, like a huge film like this I saw on IMDb. Released in Australia two days earlier than that, which was uh, kind of weird. Anyway, uh, it was directed by Christopher McQuarrie, returning to the franchise for the third time. It is an action film, and the synopsis says, Ethan Hunt and his IMF team must track down a dangerous weapon before it falls into the wrong hands. And uh, Zach editorializing now, those wrong hands are literally everyone else's hands, uh, just to be clear. All right. Dead Reckoning Part 1. Ooh, let's do it. Fitzy, I want to start with you. What did you think of this entry in the Mission Impossible saga? It was very good. I think it met my expectations. Um, it was, uh, you know, a very classy film. There's, like, cool, like, logistical elements of, like, each action scene. And it, it met my expectations. Yeah, it was really great. Mm. Um, not... And very different to Fallout, I feel like. Very different to the last entry. It was very yeah, different in general. Yeah. Yeah, I actually do agree with that. So how much rewatching did you do prior? Because I know we sort of all had different... I know there was a lot of rewatching going on across the board, but I don't know if we all did them all or what happened. Well, I, like, I rewatched the first one last year because I said I'd like gradually rewatch them. But then I forgot about that plan, so I just rewatched the rest of them like last week. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so you you, you did rewatch them all, yeah. Okay, very good. Um, I had a really good time with the movie. Uh, Dad and I were audibly laughing in a positive, engaged way, to be clear, at a couple of points uh, with how wild some of it got. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was mostly in terms of the action, pretty terrific. Each ac- action sequence feels like it has its own identity and and function in the film, not just you know visually. So that was great. Uh, I'm not sure if I loved it overall. There are some things holding it back, some plot things I was distracted by and other things that didn't really hit perfectly for me. Um, but I think a rewatch will help and, and improve it overall. But yeah, overall, um, I sound very similar to Fitzy, I think. I, I was very pleased with a lot of what was going on. But yeah, I'm not quite sure maybe where it ranks. That's maybe another conversation. I also didn't, I haven't rewatched any of them going into this at all. I, I've seen them all like a handful of times. I, I didn't really feel the need personally. Um, but Jane, I guess what kind of rewatching did you do and what do you think of this picture? 
I started with Fallout because I was like the only one I was planning to watch because I was planning to see it pretty soon. But then um, my, my my planning got delayed, so I just banged out the rest of them um, in order from that point. My perspective of the series was pretty much the same, though. I think there wasn't really any altercations in score apart from the first one getting bumped up a bit. Um, okay. But for 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 Dead Reckoning, I I I, I was truly fucking loved it, like absolutely loved it. There's an essence of a no time to die in it. In that it feels like there's a finality in it. Um, I know Tom Cruise would more be more than happy to go on, but it really wouldn't surprise me if at the end of the next one he just dies and they kill the series there. Um, and I think <laughs> it's in a good point. Um, similar to No Time to Die as well, I think that it does have a stronger predecessor in the way that that has Skyfall and this has Fallout. Um, but there's there there is just something in this film, um, similar to how I felt about No Time to Die, that is just endlessly pulls you in far more than what you know aforementioned uh film did um in terms of just engagement so mm. uh, i think that's definitely got it going yeah interesting interesting comparison yeah i wonder what they're going to do with that in part two for sure because i think i don't know uh, th- there was some comments about how at some point part two was was designed to be the finale to the whole series and then i don't know i, I they're being a bit vague about it. It's not a hundred percent definitive. That's what it is. But um, I think that'd be that'd be really cool. Uh, not that I mind either way that much. But um, let's talk about what we got to talk about with Mission Impossible. Let's talk about our favorite action pieces right off the bat. Uh, first of all, I will just say that uh, I don't know if you guys agree, but the action in this film just never gets tired for me. This this franchise, all the way through, just knows how to balance it out and pace it out so well. Where it never becomes too much for the audience, I think, and never feels like a drag in any way. And just, I was thinking about it in these terms, just because we saw Indy a couple of weeks ago in the cinema, and my complaints about the action being too long in that film. Isn't it mind blowing, or at least it is to me, that this film is ten minutes longer than Indiana Jones was? And I feel like it flew like a decent percentage quicker uh, just watching it. And I think that's just a credit to how well. Um, all the actions paced down, how different it all feels. And, yeah, they just always do such a great job and they nailed it this time as well. Do, do you guys agree with that overall? How did you feel about the runtime and just the the action compared to um, – we've already made some comparisons to other films, but even the action compared to the previous films as well? Yeah, no, I agree about, like, the runtime. Um, definitely flew by, always, you know, engaging and shit like that. Um, like, I was comparing to Fallout earlier. I think Fallout is, like – exemplified by Henry Cavill's character who's just like a hammer, you know, and the action in that film is so, like, blunt and, you know, cool in that way. But here it's like, um, like, every action scene has some cool, like, intricacy to it, like Ethan and Haley L's character being, like, you know, handcuffed in the car and, like, having to, like, figure out the logistics of that and shit like that. So, like, it it, it was less, like, intense, but it, it was, like, more interesting in a way they always like made it interesting so yeah yeah i love that you brought up that stuff in rome everything in the mini car do you know what kind of car that was Jaden? i feel like you would be at 500 <laughs> nice thank you so much yeah everything there that was so great everything in the handcuffs was 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 very creative i think i sort of remembered there was like a european city car chase sequence from a, a glimpse in a trailer and I was skeptical when it became clear that this is what the sequence was going to be as it started. I was skeptical, okay, I feel like we sort of did this in Fallout in Paris. And I was sort of like, 
initially like, oh, I don't know, are we covering some ground here that we've been over very recently? But um, no, it definitely proved me wrong there. It was, it really did stand apart. So that that was a, that was a standout sequence of mine as well. Um, everything there was just oh, super fun. And when he ends up in the subway, that was just that was great. How do you feel about that action set piece? Or feel free to take us to any any pick a favorite. I don't know. Where do you want to go? I just love the action in general, and especially the, like the lack of um, like gunplay, especially coming off the back of something like John Wick. Um, that was the other yeah. big action film this year where that was predominantly gunplay. This film's got a distinct lack of it. Like other than the opening scene where Nilsa, you know, dies, there really isn't much of it, which I yeah. think was cool because it's, it's something we spoke, that you you spoke about. Um, pretty about, about, about the about the Bourne series about how you just need that little extra bit of hand to hand or something like that. Well, you just need that extra bit to of remove from your typical action, and I think this delivers on that need. Yeah. Favorite? Oh, I don't know. So fucking many. There were a lot. I think Ooh. I think one of my favorite, like one of my favorites, is just that that is just just Tom Cruise trying like desperately to get to to Ilsa and Grace after the party in Venice. Um, oh, okay. I think it's one of the most mesmerizing sequences of the film, just as, especially like after uh, it, after the fights are done and he's still running and you just know it's done. Um, and like the outcome of the action there, uh, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Everything mm-hmm. that um, everything that Rebecca and uh, oh, what's what's the guy who plays Gabriel's name? I had it. Morales, um, Isai, Isai, Morales, Morales. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Everything they did on the bridge was fantastic, dude. They would get all those, all those crane shots that they had, like just full, full coverage of the whole thing, and it's like you could see, you could see they were doing it. Like that, that was very impressive, dude. The score, the score in that sequence as well, by the way, so good. I was re-listening to the score today, dude. It's so good. It actually might bring it up, it might bring up the whole movie up a point for me. It's Lord, what's he? I can never, I don't know how to say his name, Lauren Bolfay, or however you say his name. I always just, just say Bolf. Does Bolf? Yeah, the Bolf. The bo- the bolf. <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, his work was phenomenal in the film. Yeah, no, that was that was a standout sequence as well for sure. God, what's another one? I loved I loved the Abu Dhabi airport scene. Actually, I thought that was really good. Mm. The, I mean, we're definitely going to talk about the implementation of the AI into the story and stuff. But like, just seeing how it's implemented into the into the actual, uh, you know, frantic action of it all in terms of. Like how the I, I don't know if it makes any sense. Like it's, it's kind of maybe I'm wrong about this, but it kind of seemed a bit silly to me. Like I don't know how far fetched it is, but the idea of the AI basically like ghosting people and removing them on the spot was it was cool though. I I, I dug it. Hasn't there been a similar plot device in a film recently of like real time removing people? I don't. I'm not sure if it was AI, but like it was like this like kind of real time scrubbing. Lynn, was that a I thing? I don't know. Scream. Six? Am I crazy? Mm, they didn't really play with technology much, did they? Oh, there was like that phone thing, I guess. Or like the radar thing. I don't know. In the no, band. No. I feel like I feel like I saw something similar in, in, a, in a film recently. Um, but yeah, used to a different effect. I think like the alleyway was like one of my favorite, um, you know, action scenes, hand-to-hand action scenes. I mean, Pom's, you know, Pom's character just goes all out there. She was like, she was actually one of the characters I was like looking the most forward to, just from the trailer, just from like how fucking just aggressive she is in that fight and how cool it is. That was really cool. Uh, the Katana fight was, you know, pretty sick. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea who you were talking about. Is that you talking about the 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 uh, the cool designed uh, Japanese chick, like the yeah, samurai French chick? Actually, is yeah, she French? She's French. Oh, is she? Is she a musician? She's Mantis from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It felt like I don't know. Suicide Squad. <laughs> gotcha. I, I had no idea because she didn't speak. So it sort of screamed to me like it was like some sort of weird like cameo crossover role or something. I thought it was weird she didn't talk uh, until the end, obviously. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that was cool. I kind of totally forgot about her, but that's true. That was cool. But anyway. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to get off Abu Dhabi Airport too quick. Although, actually, I did really like the sequence. I don't really know. I, I can't recall what the point of the nuclear bomb aspect of it ended up being, though. The AI just learns about Simon Pegg's character. Like, the entity learns about what he cares about or whatever. You know, his friends. And oh, also so it's... Oh. So that, um, she, the right. Haley gets the key. Okay, okay. Now, that makes sense. The entity, man, the entity's playing on a whole new level in this movie, man. It's pretty wild. Five D chess or four D chess or whatever the hell. Yeah, what? Yeah, God, may as well. It's six D chess apparently because it, it was pretty crazy. I don't know where where does the entity rank amongst Mission Impossible villains? The team having to like face something which predicts everything and accounts for everything is is kind of cool, and it's often proved right in the film. Of course, I didn't really understand how it knew that one of one of Ethan's uh, girlfriends was going to die. I feel like so, I feel like some of that stuff was going over my head a little bit. How do you guys feel? Well, the is, it, is it a villain though? That's the question. Is it a villain? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Or do you feel like it's more of a plot right. device? Oh, no, you I mean? mean oh, sorry. You're t- I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. You turn around. Sorry. Have negative, like motivations or whatever. We don't really know. Well, it was, it was it was hacking into like all the major networks and like making itself known that it can access it. So yeah, it was, was like was just, it was like committing was, like acts of terror in a way. Well, maybe by human standards, but mm. you were just having a bit of fun, mm. you know. <laughs> I think it ranks very high in, in the in the, in the list of villains. By the way, probably like okay. I I, I love Sean Harris's character um, in, in in across Rogue Nation and Fallout, but I th- mm. I think this is more terrifying than than he ever was, and especially in the in, mm. in that party scene in Venice when when Cruz realizes that. Sorry, when Ethan Hunt realizes that you know it's orchestrated by the uh, entity, and like there's like that, that, that thumping kind of clicking kind of thing comes in, it's yeah. fantastic. Top one or two, um, in my opinion. Well, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, Sean Harris is so good, man. Oh, I, dude, I'm I'm a huge, I'm a huge Philip Seymour Hoffman fan in the third one. I actually don't mm. know if I can recall any of the mm. villains or the other ones off the top of my head. It's been a while, um, but yeah, those those are standouts. Yeah, no, I thought I thought the entity was really cool when it started replicating Simon Pegg's voice. That was that was really cool. I like that a lot because obviously, like the comms and the team talking to each other, you know, through their bloody earpieces or whatever, is such a huge part of the series. So to like have a villain actually be able to mess with that is pretty. That's pretty cool. That's pretty uh, pretty scary for them, I guess. But I guess an extension of the entity is Gabriel. In terms of villains, what do you reckon he's doing this shit for? Because mm. in the film, he's basically sort of portrayed as like I don't know, like a devil character. Is basically sort of just the, the the entity in human form, I suppose. Yeah, Gabriel was like the one part I have a little bit of drawback on. Um, I can't really identify why because I think he plays the character well. I, I think with a character like that, you can only he can only exist in the film to an extent before being a bit like 
silly. I don't know what another word is, but like, because you're like, how much can he be just self serving, self hating, just desperate for killing that he's like so willing to do all that, you know? Um, yeah. So, in, in terms of that, like, I think that's where like I, I have like a slight drawback, but um, like aside from that, like his action is fantastic. I think his presence is pretty decent, um, hmm. and that backstory they they establish is uh, is interesting. And I wish we got just a little bit. I wish we got a name out of out of that backstory, but uh, you know, and of yeah. who the who the woman was, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I assume they'll they'll unravel a little bit more later. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, probably, probably. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I loved the hints we got into that backstory um at first just that that's not something we've ever seen before right like at first i thought is this like a mission impossible one flashback and i'm just forgetting the movie but it's not right no, it's nothing yeah, never seen it. no. cool okay that, that, that's that's really cool yeah i had no idea that ethan like in terms of his past was we, we haven't gotten into any detail yet but like okay so we know he was faced with life in prison so what did he do you know what i mean like i i assume knowing mm. the guy that he's not a that he's not a serial killer that's that's a decent guess, but outside of that, that's pretty interesting. So, yeah, part two, we'll probably get more into that. I saw that they were talking about doing um for this film, doing like a in, in, pulling an Indiana Jones where they have a fifteen minute opening sequence like that's de aged Tom Cruise, which I presume would have been this scene. They were going to do mm. the full thing, and I'm glad they didn't. Um, maybe they'll do a version yeah. of it in the next film, like uh, maybe implement it in some other way. But Jaden. You have something to say? No, I was trying to hit mute and I accidentally hit that. Sorry. <laughs> That's great. Um, yeah, I, I honestly wouldn't hate if we didn't get more though, to be honest. Like, don't, don't be wrong, I wouldn't complain. But what we got was just such a nice little tease and sort of had me thinking and and opened up this new sort of can of worms for the character. Like, I never really, I don't know, like I, I've never had, an issue with Ethan Hunter's character. Obviously, I think he's cool, but like we often just call him Tom Cruise because it just feels like he's Tom Cruise. This was sort of the first time, you know, in a while anyway, that I can remember where I feel like Ethan feels like his own character, and like I'm actually interested in learning more about him a little bit, you know, as opposed mm. to just being like Tom Cruise's name in the Mission Impossible movies. Um, so I'm sort of it might it might just know, be like the story of like his first wife and like getting Scientology or something like that. So it could still be an extension of him. Quite possibly, yeah. Wow, that'd be quite something if, uh, <laughs> yeah, it ends up being this whole uh, religious plot involving Scientology. That'd be pretty wild. Um, so, yeah, no, I thought that was really cool. We probably will get more of it, though, I assume, in, in part two. I think that's that's pretty fair to say. We've already talked a fair bit about the scene in Venice where, is her name Ilsa? Rebecca Ferguson's name in the movie? She carks it. And I want to ask... You guys have sung the praises of the scene a little bit, but Fitzy, like, did this did this moment live up to its potential as an emotional beat in the film? Because it's a it's probably one of the biggest sort of story beats that the franchise has hit in quite a long time. I think killing off a character like that, like, not really. Like, um, it's good that they did this because the, the the recent movies are like continuous and stuff, but this is feels like the biggest kind of stab at like t- telling a bigger story, I guess. Um, and she's been yeah. like an impactful yeah, character in the last few films, but the death itself wasn't anything to you know cry over or anything. It was it wasn't amazing, but you know I still I still approve the decision to kill a beloved character off. I guess an important character. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I like that they did it. the The moment didn't like hit me big time. Um, probably in part because 
they already sort of killed her earlier in the movie. That that, that was a weird yeah. choice. I, I, I do want to talk about the opening twenty minutes a little bit, but um, yeah, it feel, it was like we had a fake out death with her, and then she just died anyway. And for some reason, like the whole thing leading up to it, I don't think it's Rebecca's fault by any means, but um, she's terrific. But I know, like her role as a character in the story leading up to the death sort of felt like she felt like she was sort of just there, you know? Like I didn't really. It, it sort of just felt like at that point the death just. I felt it from Ethan's perspective. I felt it served him as a character, but independently of just why she's involved at this point and all, why she's even in Venice. And it sort of felt flimsily sort of like motivated. I don't know. It was sort of just like, I get it from Ethan's point of view, but the rest of it was kind of not like the most satisfying thing I've ever seen, but I, I don't have any huge complaints about it necessarily. I will just say that Spooky was overjoyed at her death. Um What? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, th- I, th- I think the character was probably a bit mishandled, especially after how the end of Fallout kind of establishes them being closer than what this film applies them to be, implies mm. um, that they are. I don't like that it, it's kind of another, he, he has a girl, she dies, and he moves on kind of situation. It's a bit Bond, and this series, you know, it had the chance to take the best of Bond, and that's really not the best of Bond. That, that is just kind of an aspect. Um, so the fact that they introduced Grace before even killing her off, but it's clear that he is already romantically interested in Grace. Like, it, I think the whole dynamic was a bit weird. Yeah, odd. Okay. I still did care for her yeah. death because I, I, I do, I did really like the character. Yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think there was probably like a little bit of impact that was uh, missing because of that earlier scene as well. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah, I think we're we're all pretty close on that. Then speaking of that earlier scene. Let's do it now. Let's 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 tackle the whole final train scene in its own thing. But um, the opening twenty minutes of this movie, I will say it's I enjoyed it, but I don't think it's great. Like the way the whole thing was cut together back and forth. Well, first of all, of course, there's the opening scene with the whatever the goddamn name of the Russian submarine is, which was cool. I, I thought that scene was decent. I'm not even going to attempt to say its name. Hopefully, uh, do you, do you guys know it? <laughs> The Sylvester Oh, Dan, of course, you nailed it. Um, <laughs> the, the, but it's then when we get to the desert scene, it sort of starts for me where it's like, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit disappointed with the desert scene. I feel like the desert scene had a bit of potential, just vi- like visually, but like the idea of Tom Cruise riding a horse in the goddamn Arab desert is just like the coolest thing ever. And it looks amazing. And it's like, holy shit, this could be like a top action scene of all time for, for this series. And then it was just kind of whatever. But, you know, it's fine. Not everything has to, like, totally be a banger. But just from the visuals, I was like, this has some potential. Um, and then, yeah, it, it was what we were talking about. The opening with how it's cut back and forth with is Rebecca dead or is she not? It was kind of clunky. Like, the editing of it felt a bit forced. It sort of felt like it was sort of manufacturing a bit of drama at the start because, I don't know, yeah, it was just it was just weird. Like, I never really believed she was dead. But then, like, we have the scene where, like, I'm meant to think she is back with Keytrich in the – in the flash forward, it was just kind of, it was a bit clunky for me. So there's the other scene, you know, when they're all sitting around explaining the plot of the movie at the start. And I, don't, I understand it's like, you know, fairly straightforward Mission Impossible and espionage movie stuff where like all the characters get around and all like the CIA board of directors, people are sitting in a circle and they're all like, you know, we, we lost contact with them at 0700, you know, all that sort of dialogue shit. But like in this movie, it sort of felt 
like egregious to me at, in that opening scene where there's like a bunch of recognizable actors all in the same room, like spouting one line of exposition at a time, like they're taking turns. It was kind of it was kind of weird that scene to me, especially when like I feel like I recognized all of those people in that room. So yeah, I don't know how much I the, the opening sequence had a, a lot packed into it, but it was probably my least least favorite, and then it definitely it definitely picked up from there. I think the desert scene may have been uh may have been cocked a bit by John Wick. Because they 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 kind of got to right. the desert first, so perhaps I had to draw back on that. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really disagree with anything. I, I, but apart from like, I I did really love the kind of just talking heads sequence. Uh, you know, not 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 talking heads, but you know, all those guys just chatting in CIA headquarters. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I I think the reason it, it stuck out was probably because it doesn't feel like it has a place really in Mission Impossible because usually like the the like you know your exposition is delivered on the go. Like in Fallout and in Rogue Nation, it is delivered on the go. In even in Grass Protocol, it's all delivered on the go. Um, so to, to kind of take that step back and just sit down, yeah, fair. But I mean, it goes with the movie's theme and story. Um, and I, d- yeah, I did just yeah, like the kind of like rapid circle um, that it does go through. And some of the characters, like you know, like yeah. um, Indira Varma was there, and uh, that was weird. Carrie Elwes. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. The guys. I was shocked to see that Ketridge came back as well. Um, that was that. That was like my hype moment of the of, of the of the film. He was in it a fair bit. When when was the last one he appeared in? It wasn't just the first number one. Number one, first one. Yeah. Really? Wow, that is cool. He he was in it quite a lot. That was definitely an eye cameo. So that that's cool. In that in that scene we're talking about where they're all sitting in the circle. Um, did you guys know like because Tom Cruise walks in and he's like, uh, you know, he's got the wearing the mask of some other other old guy. Like, did you guys know it was Ethan right away, or like, were you just really weirded out by why they kept closely uh, zooming in on this guy's face? Well, like the trailer showed that guy, uh, you know, throwing the green smoke or whatever. So I knew that would happen. But my mom actually predicted that was Ethan. But I thought I thought that guy was like working with Kittredge or whatever, and Kittredge would be like the villain oh, of the film because yeah. that's how the trailer sets it up. Oh, was he in the trailer? It was interesting. Interesting. Um, Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was Tom when he first walked on screen, but then as they kind of kept on going and they kept on talking a bit more about the entity, and it just, I, was, I thought perhaps he is like a he's working for the entity, but you know, surely, surely like you know, if it's about the Tom Cruise height, you know, you need to assume it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Usually you can't tell though because they try and disguise the height on screen. You know, they don't want to expose him too much. Oh yeah, talking about that, I love the show where like. Kittredge and Tom Cruise like both stand up at the same time and they're like mirroring each other, you know. And yeah. then um, Tom Cruise like changes into Kittredge afterwards. But oh yeah, that was, that was really neat. The whole gag in this film, they do it a few times where they try and uh, like you know like they try and touch someone else's face and like rip off their mask. Like other characters mm. will do it to other people. Is that new? Because I thought that was really funny and I, and it like makes perfect sense, but I don't remember it ever happening before. No, I don't think I don't think it has. They did it a few times, and I was like, "That's actually like, of course, if I were in this world, I would totally be doing that all the time to everyone, just freaking smacking people and shit. That'd be great." No, fuck it. Let's just talk about. You guys happy to talk about this final train sequence, the beast of the movie? I'll just say that I thought it was really, really cool. It's there's a lot going on in it. There's it sort of feels like you could break it up into sort of four parts in terms of you know this sort of it's a string of action sequences in one sort of thing. But yeah, I thought it was really cool. It, it very much felt like a deliberate callback to to the ending of Mission Impossible One, 
to me anyway in terms of the whole train scene in that movie. And of course, of course, like, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. You guys saw it much more recently than me, but like, oh, that, that scene never held up in my opinion. So in a way, it sort of felt like it was going back and sort of like, you know, not, I don't want to say doing right by like it was garbage or anything, but like um, being a callback, but also like a strong improvement and seeing what we can do now, you know, if, if with, with an epic train sequence like it. So I, I, yeah, really enjoyed the whole thing, especially them fighting on top uh, towards the end of it. Well, not at, right at the end, but when Gabriel and Ethan are fighting on top and they're ducking and weaving in the tunnel and shit, that shit was insane when they had to like quickly get out of the way of all these lampposts and shit coming and wh- whatever that shit was in the tunnel. That was that was really really cool. I think it's a bit hard done by the fact that Indiana Jones just did a train sequence as well, not even two weeks ago. Like this film did it infinitely better, um, more engaging, more exciting, more tense. But the fact that there is like such a recent example of a kind of train action sequence is a bit does undercut it a bit. Um, I, th- I think it's it, it is brilliant, you know, comparing it to Indiana Jones, which really probably shouldn't but it, it, just, it just shows how like how effective these guys are at what they do because you you feel the speed of the train you feel you feel the danger as they drop and like even like you know even like in the tunnel like indiana jones like you know like harrison ford yeah he gets dragged on the roof but like in this the tunnel just feels like a, a menacing presence and like and like spooky was talking about it after he came out the movie and he's like yeah like the the, the the difference in the in the sound of the air rushing by and like when you for them finally leave the, the tunnel it's like a breath of fresh air it's like respite you know it's like you're leaving water you know I, 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 these guys just executed it really fantastically yeah but yeah train stuff is brilliant though yeah like there's no no no, no doubt about it unless liam says otherwise unless liam says otherwise. Oh, well. yeah great great pointing out great pointing out the uh yeah love pointing out all the sound and stuff that's totally true fitzy come on Tell us it's shit or whatever. Well, first of all, the train sequence in Mission Impossible 1 is much better than this one. Um, Wait, is, is, that, is, that, like, is that real? <laughs> yeah, I'm not being ironic. Um, but, oh, okay. like, fighting on top of a train, like, there's just too many examples of me to, like, you know, be amazed by it in this instance. And, like, at the end when they, like, jump, you know, like, Uncharted style. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's a whole I mean, other it's just been, yeah. There's just too many times it's been done, I think. But I mean, yeah, it was definitely my least favorite part of the film. But sure, it was impressive. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting. No, that that's fair. I, I agree with you conceptually, but I'm definitely with Jane. Where I feel like it was just like the quality of like I've never seen it done that. Like it's definitely the best time I've ever seen it done in my life. So therefore, that sort of just punches through any preconceptions I have about it. But I don't disagree. Yeah, it has mm-hmm. definitely been done a lot more. I mean, and, and in it, a way, it, it like fallout sequences are more unique. Sorry, go for it. Yeah. Well, I don't think it, like, looks amazing. Like, I think the sound is amazing, but, like, when they're filming on top of it, it it's kind of bland, you know? It's kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's because they're actually on top of it and not in a in a studio like these other products. Yeah, I, I know they're actually yeah. on top of it, but, like, they didn't make it They didn't make it good. They didn't make it feel like they're on top of it, you know? <laughs> um, what else do you want them to do? They stood up there and they put a camera up there. Like, what? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Just because they didn't have like CGI spaceships flying around all around them and shit. Oh, that's exactly what um, I want. Yeah, yeah. I've got, I, I knew that. To, yeah, that, that's what I think of when I think of Liam's movie taste. It's exactly what you want. Yeah, no, that's all fair. It, but you brought up uh, towards the end there when they start the act. The scene changes dramatically, and it ends up 
being like the train is derailed sort of off a bridge and they end up having to climb up this fallen train. Um, it's literally just Uncharted 2's opening. It's literally the exact same scene. And yeah, that was that was my least favourite action in the film, actually. It was fine. It was fine. But that's all it was. It was fine. Like the, the, this film has exceptional action and this was totally serviceable. And it was kind of weird, um, at least just in my opinion, that it was... Uh, well, I shouldn't say it's weird. It's um, It was just unfortunate placement that it was the last thing that they did because um, it could have gone out on a, on a stronger high for me. It's not even the fact I've seen it before, but it was also just the fact that, like, that's clearly the only significant action scene they shot in a green screen environment. Like, it's so... And it's not even that the green screen looked bad, but it was just that, like, it just stands out so much when it's, like, the rest of this film is done so on location and looks gorgeous, and then it's like, oh, well, okay, now we're in a green screen studio where you're clearly all this is digitally you know what i mean and it was just it just took me out of the movie and it was just yeah like i said it was just damn if, if it was in the middle or somewhere it could have maybe been more easily overlooked but it probably yeah it was a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment for me that particular scene I, I, I do think the strongest part of the scene is is the jump off the cliff and into the train and once oh. again with the sound like the initial kind of silence that cuts through it and then, and then, and then, like when the noise comes back in, it does feel like an explosion, um, and it has the same effect of just like kind of shuddering you. Uh, that, that once again, just brilliant from the sound guys there, um, yeah. and from Tom Cruise for jumping off a fucking cliff. Um, <laughs> Shout out! And then, and then the eventual fucking into the into the train, um, which like yeah. I, I I saw it coming. I was like, it's it's going to be a bit cheesy. It was a bit cheesy, but like I, I, you know, it was funny. I liked it still. Um, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. When he, I also I took it, – it's cheesy, but I also took a note that it was really fun when he crashed through the window. That was really cool. In terms of it, though, I love that you pointed out the sound. I would argue, like, Tom Cruise jumped off a cliff. Like, I don't want to, don't want to, <laughs> you know, by any means undermine that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to sound like I'm just like, oh, you should could have done more or whatever. But it is funny how – it's so true how the sound, like, elevates it exponentially. That is so true. And also, just in terms of the stunt itself, I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna spit like something really, really, you know, unfortunate. I'm gonna regret or something. But like, I'm honestly more. It was. It was cool. It was cool, no doubt. But like, I'm honestly more impressed when like Tom has to learn how to do something insane totally in camera compared to just a single stunt. You know what I mean? Like, he jumped off the cliff, wild. But then I don't know. To me, like when he's Flying the helicopter in Fallout, and you know he had to train thousands of hours to do that, and, or when he's flying the jets in Top Gun. To me, that's actually exponentially more impressive because it's like just the uh, maybe not the the danger element so much, but just the amount of time and effort that's put into it, and to be able to get an extended sequence where he's literally doing it all in front of you, as opposed to just like one stunt. You know what I mean? That lasts you know ten fifteen seconds. Uh, again, don't want to undermine it, but. I'm sort of, yeah, I don't know. In a way, like, I'm sort of more impressed by Fallout in that respect. But the stunt was, of course, really, really cool. I'm sure, Fitzy, I'm sure you saw it, like, uh, I'm sure, I think we all would have, right, like, seen that stunt, like, 50,000 times before you even saw the movie, yeah. which is sort of unfortunate. But how did it feel in the actual movie and h- how do you react to it? You know, it was fine. It was good. It was good. It was good. Um, okay. I mean, okay. Uh, like, yeah. Uh, I, saw, I saw this done a bunch of times, but also I feel like afterwards we get like five seconds of him in the air and that's about it, you know, for like focusing, for like the advertising focusing on the stunt so much, there was just so little there. 
in terms yeah. of additional stuff. So yeah. it wasn't exactly impressive, but you know the thing itself was the stunt itself was definitely impressive. Yeah, actually, I, I totally agree with that. It is, it does sort of feel like it's sort of unfortunate because it does feel like it's just a product of the marketing cycle. Like if the stunt wasn't so focused on prior to the film coming out, and we watched the film. And then we all walked out afterwards to go, did Tom Cruise actually jump off that cliff? Like, it would probably be nuts, you know what I mean? But um, because it's at this point, like, Tom doing all this stuff is, like, such a big part of uh, what draws people to the to the cinema to go and see it. It's sort of just, yeah, it creates these, yeah, I don't know, it creates a bit, it muddies it a little bit where it sort of just creates expectations and then um, you sort of just end up, like, be, end up being impressed with, like, the other, you know, two hours and 39 minutes of the whole thing, you know? Hmm. I, I still think it's, it was super punchy, like like the. I, I I still think it was impressive, despite how much I saw and how much it was, you know, kind of advertised. Like I agree with your point. If if, if you went in there fresh, and and you act, and you came out and you had to be like, did he actually jump off a cliff? Like yeah, that that would be fucking insane. Um, yeah. But I think despite yeah. everything that, despite what they've shown, despite showing how they've shot it as well, I I still think it was really effective. Yeah. 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 I, I I agree with that. I guess I'm sort of somewhere in the middle. Uh, another aspect of it that I do want to bring up also um, that I thought elevated it beyond just the marketing material or whatever was the fact that I really liked the the brief moment like before he does it where um, he gets like the flashbacks to um, whoever the other, like he's the previous, you know, 30 years ago or whatever. And then he gets the flashback to Rebecca and, they, and the score is quite emotional in that little part. It's like literally, literally 10 seconds. But it was really smart choice i think because it quickly motivated the, the the stunt you know really grounded it in the story in a really cool way it wasn't just like oh here we go tom's you know high intensity he's about to you know drive off the edge of the thing it just very quickly like took you back into the story back into the character and it was just like immediately oh i understand why he feels so desperately he needs to do this right now you know what i mean because uh, if you think about it, it is kind of insane that a character would like in a film like that any human being would ever choose to do that, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's pretty nuts. So I, I understand, like you could also argue that it's like from a logical point of view, it's like, well, it makes no sense. No one would ever actually do that. But the film actually does a really good job of motivating it and making it feel like, oh, I totally understand why he feels as though this is the only thing he can do right now, and he's sort of pushing himself to his limit um, because he feels like he can't fail Grace at that point. So I thought that was that was quite a cool choice. Um, I think you guys might have mentioned it when I when, when I got up because I I think when I came back uh, you you guys were talking about the airport, but um, no, I I really liked um Shea Wiggum's character and he kind of, he kind of like plays a role similar to what he did in in the Fast and Furious franchise, as like because like in, in, in number four he's meant to hunt down Brian a bit, but he, he plays it in a similar fashion as well, kind of comedic and, and, and that's obviously the direction he's been given. But um, I did enjoy mm-hmm. that. And I did enjoy kind of his partnership with the other bloke, um, and just like the kind of chase that they go. So this is the especially Dubai. This is yeah. the CIA duo, right? Yeah, yeah. I like them. I like the scene that they had on the train briefly, where the other dude, the younger dude, was like, um, "Well, what if he's right?" You know, because because it raises. I I just really think it's cool. I've never been more behind the team, I guess, because. I totally agree with them philosophically on their on their stance on the AI, and even though it's not necessarily like a huge part of the film, it's not like the film's like you know necessarily trying to maybe be a commentary on the role of AI in our future or whatever. But it's definitely in it. it's there, um, and I just really like the idea of like you know if you're in this situation, would you just hand the key to your superior 
it's kind of messed up. It, it, it's it's messed up that they would, you know. I just really like the fact that they bring up the morality of that and the fact that Ethan Hunt is like the only person on Earth who apparently believes that this thing should be destroyed and killed is wild and makes me totally root for him because I totally agree with him. And the fact that like literally everyone else in the film, you know, is is going for the key and for their own benefit and for their own interests. It's just, it's, it's, first of all, it's just really cool espionage stuff that everyone's in it for their own gain and stuff. But I think it's a really cool, you know, you guys know we did it last week. I like talking about AI. So um, I think it's cool to bring up those questions. And Ethan Hunt's pretty damn cool for doing the right thing. That's what I think. Yes. I, I have a feeling that the AI still won in the end. Oh, like as in it knew all this was happening. Like it. Yeah. I reckon it's keeping Gabriel in the dark a bit because. Get, get, Gabriel tells 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 Pom's character that she's going to betray him, but then he stabs her and leaves her on the train. He doesn't know how she's going to betray him, but he, obviously they still manufacture that that ma- manufacture that betrayal. So the fact that that is a manufactured betrayal, it means that the AI planned for Gabriel to not have the key if he if if she if she, if it knew that Pom would have to save Tom, you know. Pom <laughs> would have to save Tom. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's true. You know what? I'm glad you. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because that was a small element of the ending for me. That was kind of weird because the AI is so good the whole time, and being able to predict all this shit. That I was for a minute like, how could it have allowed this to happen? You know what I mean? It sort of felt a bit. It, it felt a, a bit like right at the end, the film sort of forgot that the AI could do all that. But that's a great point. Like if we start part two, that's the thing we got to we got to. Give him, give him some patience mm. here. Well, at least I do, because if we start part two and it's like the AI, nah, mate, it knows it's it's on top of it. That's awesome. That, that, that I'd be really into that. But then the question ra- is raised of like, well, how do they beat this thing? Well, I guess that would that makes perfect sense for the the series surely to go out at that point because they, if they they're gonna obviously, uh, I, th- I obviously think gonna Luke, uh, uh, what's his fucking name? Uh, uh, Luther. I, th- I think Luther comes back with the with a bit of a Deus Ex Machina. Who's Luther? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I was going to yeah. say, who's Luther? <laughs> That's so bad. He's like the most consistent character in this whole thing. How do we feel about the ending overall, though, actually, in terms of just in terms of how you felt walking out of the cinema and its role in setting up part two and that final shot of the submarine? And because it's obviously a part one, part two's coming. But it's sort of in this interesting place where it didn't feel. It, I wouldn't say it felt like a cliffhanger. Totally though, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it felt like a way more like complete film than like Spider Verse did. You know, it, did, oh, it felt like it completed its its mission. You know, um, but like the AI in general, I feel like like the the, the paranoia that it created, and like is kind of silly. But like when they all met at the you know, the, the club in, in, uh, what's it called? Venice. The yeah. Underground setting, Venice. Yeah. Um, that was like kind of cool how they're just like, wait, but the AI is still here and you're the AI and who can trust her? And, you know, it, it was, it added a bit of, you know, spice to the film in that way. Yeah. But also I feel like it wasn't totally silly. Like the AI still felt, the entity still felt kind of menacing and the way it was used, like, Especially when Kitch- when Kittredge said shit like, uh, you know, this will control the truth for centuries to come and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like, the the film being based on like such physical like analog things, 
like not just the train and like um the car and shit but like you know they use like cathode ray tubes and shit to power their devices because they're like they gotta stay away now it's cool like it feels mm. very old school versus technology or some shit you know, it was well integrated yeah yeah that's totally true yeah oh in terms sorry in terms of the the part one part two thing you're totally right obviously spider-verse yeah that's such a that's a very interesting point of comparison it's obviously very recent it didn't really feel like a part one to me as such it felt more like a uh, and i sort of don't really love i don't know i mean obviously i haven't seen part two yeah i don't know if i would have made the choice to do a part one part two on this because it felt more like this mission was completed and here's obviously what the next mission's going to be. But they still feel like different missions. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it, it feels more like a rogue nation to fallout situation as opposed to justifying necessarily a part one, part two situation because I feel like a part one, part two requires at least a little bit more of a cliffhanger. Not that I need it to be like um, as crazy as Spider-Verse, but like even Harry Potter like has definitely more of a cliffhanger than even this did. Um, it's probably somewhere in the middle mm. of the two, you know. So, yeah, as, as a result of that, I um I didn't I didn't love the ending. Like I guess maybe I was sort of hoping for a little bit more of a cliffhanger, just with the expectation of it being a part one. Probably mainly because the characters at the end, the whole thing is that they learn what we've known the whole time as the audience. That's sort of the weird part of it to me. Is that like the big thing that they learn at the end that's going to set them up for the next movie is something we knew in the first ten minutes of this movie. So I never felt like there was a big like at least satisfying revelation to lead us into the next one. So, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Like, that's really just a complaint of the title because if the movie was called something else, I wouldn't be saying any of this, you know. When the opening credits flash up and they and they, and they, they, they spoil the whole movie, do you try and predict, yeah. like, how those clips um, factor in? Or do you just, like, kind of, like, let it wash over you? I just let it wash over me and sing the, fucking, the theme, you know, <laughs> pretty much. This dance? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same. I am. Um, I definitely, I don't know, yeah, I'm just on for the ride. I can't predict any of this shit. But I do um, take note of specific shots, though. Like, I took note of the shot where Tom Cruise is running in Venice with all, like, the candles around him. I took note of that one mm, when I saw yeah. it the first time. Um, and that was cool, obviously, just obviously when it came back later. Imagine if some of them just never came back and just they're just there to troll you. <laughs> That'd be pretty crazy. Um, are you a fan of that concept, though, in general? Because I know, obviously, this is a staple of the franchise, but... No, I think I do like it. I like it because it's unique. I was going to say, like, I don't know, it sort of spoils the movie a little bit, but it is unique, and I feel like they always are careful with what they choose. They never just, like, throw in the, the whole, you know, ending or anything, you know. Yeah, that's why, like, um, uh, Ghost Protocols is always nuts to me because, like, they show me the Kremlin blowing up, but it doesn't register, and then I see the Kremlin blowing up, like, a few minutes later. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> Kremlin blew up, yeah. yeah. Is that the most obvious example that... From the previous films that you remember, yeah, probably. I, I, I think that there, there there is quite significant stuff in full, in the full hour intro as well. Oh, okay. but yeah, I, I guess it only ever becomes evident on a rewatch um, because I, I did try to like pick out a few things this time, and I was like, All right, we'll try we'll try to keep a track of that shot. But I was like, by the end of it, I was like, okay, they're in the fucking Alps somewhere, um, and that's yeah. all you can really pick up. Yeah, 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 for sure. We haven't really talked a lot about Haley Atwell's Grace. Um, I saw an Andy's review, like he was he was a big fan of her edition. Do you guys feel the same way? Well, she's obviously definitely the most significant new character, but um, she feels like she's now going to be like integral to the next one. It wouldn't surprise me if they fob her off a bit, to be honest as well. Like oh, really? she goes to train with them. 
and you know she's like they just get a new girl in <laughs> no no offense Haley. um something a bit more age appropriate perhaps Maybe, yeah. I mean, there's definitely that. There's definitely that. Do, is it is it meant to be like a romantic thing they're setting up? Do you reckon? Because uh, I don't know uh, if I'd be into yeah. that. I don't know. Yeah, I sort of feel like. I mean, it's what you said earlier about Bond. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I want this for Ethan at this point. Like, I want. I feel like no. And I was so happy with 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 Ilsa. Oh yeah, as well. big time. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I mean, the film is sort of this film. I do like really like how it's sort of low key about the power of friendship. Um, in terms of how it's just, it's just like Benji. I love how, how Benji always brings it up. It's like, what's the most important thing to you, my friends? You know, and I feel like there's like five different lines in the movie that are sort of similar. I just, but I think it's cool. I think it's really neat. And at this point, like the team is so integral to all these films that like it makes perfect sense. It feels like it's totally earned. So I think that's cool. Um, so in theme with that, I'd be totally fine if they stayed friends personally, but mm. I don't know if they will. I sort of agree with that. Um, I don't know if this is a hot take. I'll, I'll use it to transition to you, Fitzy. I didn't love Haley in the movie. I thought her performance was kind of fine. It was kind of middling to me. Wait, so you tossed that over to me because you thought it would be negative as well? No, no, just to see how you'd react. Like, okay. I, wanted, I just want to throw you a spicy um, one. Yeah. No, like, I liked ha- I liked Haley up until they try to, like, make it, like, an emotional thing. Like, she's, like you know, an outlaw and she's going to have protection by this thing because she never felt like she never felt like she was vulnerable or anything. Like It felt like she could have just ran off and had fun. But like, I, I don't agree with you guys about the relationship thing because after three, they don't give a shit that much about... Like, the female companions are, are just kind of there. They're like proto-bond in a way, but not really. Like, they're not... They don't really have like mm. that kind of relationship with Ethan, I don't think. But you know, I can, I can, I can kind of see it, but not really. But hey, but but not even for Ilsa. Like they have the this scene in the movie where they're like, they're clearly the romantic scene where they're like, oh, you haven't been to Paris? Uh, sorry, Venice before. No, in the like- last movie, like she's like, there's like a whole thing between her and Luther where like she's asking about like what's going on with Michelle Monaghan, and 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 Luther says, I've only seen him feel this way about two women. Which was Shell, and then Ilsa. Like maybe, but like they never. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like they ever go there enough to make it to make that an issue. Did you feel like there was more comedy in this one than there was in the previous? Um, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Did you? I thought there was a slight increase in one-liners, perhaps. Okay. Liam. Mm, no, I think it's always been that kind of. Like Simon Pegg's character's always had the like banter, you know. Yeah, I feel I feel like Tom Cruise said a bit too much, too, too much jokey things a bit. Did he? I, I don't know. I just, I just had this feeling when watching it. I was like, it, it just felt a little bit more noticeable than I don't know Fallout particularly. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like even in like I, the past, I feel like like they were, they were more localized to like their individual scenes where I feel like these. Maybe mm-hmm. there was still equal amount, but it just feels like these were maybe a bit more dispersed. Okay, I really, I, I really wanted to rewatch Fallout because um, I just can't remember it well enough. I've seen it twice, but I, yeah, it's been too long. Um, holy shit! I've gone this long and I forgot I had trivia. Holy Jesus Christ! Okay, is there anything here worth saying at this point? 
Jane <laughs> doesn't want me to say shit. Uh, we all know this this film, uh, COVID nineteen ruined the production of this film, and it cost shitloads of money to make as a result. There we go. Uh, oh, I already touched on the CGI uh, opening, the aging. That's good. I nailed that. Oh, here we go. Here we go. This is a cinema effect uh, uh, continuity question. This, along with its sequel, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2, will be the first Mission Impossible movie to shoot entirely in digital, unlike the first six films, which were shot on 35mm film. Fitzy, could you tell? I don't know. It's hard to say which ones. Actually, no, I think uh, Rogue Nation and Ghost Protocol could probably look the best, but I couldn't really tell either way which one, if it's film or digital. Yeah. Yeah, no, neither. Wait, were the previous six entirely film or was it part film? That's what I don't. This actually doesn't specify. And it's saying that this was entirely digital and no film at all. Actually, you know what? Great point. There's no. I've refused to believe that the cameras out the front of Tom Cruise's chopper were film. Yeah. Well, somewhere I'm at. yeah. But that that's probably it. But sat on that trivia. To be honest. Here we go. Maybe this is actually an aspect of the humour. I just, I forgot about this scene, to be honest. When Ethan and Grace meet for the first time at the airport, Tom Cruise insisted on performing the magic trick with the two halves of the key practically, because of course he did. Despite numerous failed takes, the desired effect was ultimately achieved in camera. And then get this, with little to no visual effects. What the <laughs> fuck does that mean? It's <laughs> just the paint out like a few fucking pictures of the cake. <laughs> yeah, you can- if you slowed it down, you can see two frames where he fucked it up and they're just like, yeah. draw that shit out. I thought that was a really weird trivia. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Let's get to our final weeks for Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1. Jaden. Give me this one a nine. Oh, oh my huge. God. Huge. Yeah. Maybe it was just the guys I saw it with because Andy and Spooky both gave it a nine as well. You know, maybe, maybe it was just the vibe. They were high Session. on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I like. I, I thought it was phenomenal. It it, it has like this. This is. I, I brought up No Time to Die at the start, um, which was also a nine for me. And you know, like Skyfall was the ten, and Twilight was the ten for me. It's like th- this film has a lot of comparisons to me in my head, although they might be surface level to others. I don't know. Just they're just they're just linked. No, that makes sense. I always like Bond comparisons, Jaden. I'm going to give this an eight. Although it was great. That was really, really good. Coming out of it, you, you know, it's weird. I was actually the lowest on it when I walked out and I really liked it, but I was sort of between a seven and an eight for a day listening to the score helped for sure. And talking about how good some of these action scenes were just needed. I needed that little extra reminder to push it up a point. Yeah. It's great. Fitzy, what about you? Jumped off a fucking cliff. And that. And that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of similar. Like coming out, I think because the opening and ending weren't, the best parts of the film, uh, and it was yeah. sandwiched by so so much like greatness that kind of sounded a little bit, but it's still a great film and very different. I feel like so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'll give it an eight out of ten. Very mm. nice. I know you are actually like it's funny. I was seeing some of your scores um, as everyone was sort of rewatching these films, and as Luke was watching them and stuff, um, I was surprised that you actually had Fallout like fairly low. For um, or for for like us anyway, so you keep, you, you think it's uh, different from Fallout, but do you think it's better than Fallout? Well, you're, I mean, oh. you have a better score, but I guess I'm just wondering where sort of the the quality differences are. Yeah, no, like uh, yeah, I, I think I enjoy it more than Fallout. Yeah, um, okay. 
but I, I acknowledge that I'm, you know, a different, a di- different in that sense because I, I, yeah, I do like the ones before Fallout more. Uh, what is your favorite, actually? Either the first one or Ghost Protocol, I think. One of those two. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm. that's pretty, yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty, I feel like that's a pretty unique take. Not that, it, you know, they're both good, oh, so yeah. nothing wrong with it. What's your favorite, Jaden? I feel like now I have to ask you. <laughs> um, Fallout is uh, 100%. Get on the record. Yeah. Ghost Protocol, I've, I've seen Ghost Protocol way too much. It plays on Fox Time movies like so often, and I just watch it every time, and I'm just seeing it way too much. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, we all know the too many rewatches, what that does. Let's get into our highlights of the week. No news chat this week, thank God. Uh, Fitzy, what have you been watching? Get well, I, I watched the unbearable, bearable, well, talent waste or something. Um, the unbearable, <laughs> unbearable waste of time. <laughs> time, yeah. No, yeah, it was, it was actually like really fun in the first half when uh, Pedro and you know Nick Cage were like having fun and stuff and being bros. The bromance was cool, but then it it just became really. Like a bad version of adaptation, where like the, the 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 film they're describing, like becoming more generic, becomes more generic because they're, they're trying to make a film within the film kind of thing. Um, but like it. Uh, it just becomes really average. Yeah, I don't like that, Jane. Man, no, I've got no issue. I take no issue. Okay, All right. I haven't seen adaptation though, so like I can't really. I don't have like a baseline to compare it off. I guess. Um, you agree that the film becomes average? I think it might taper off a bit, um, but like I said, you know, you're, you've got it, you're comparing it to a to a to a to, to, to a product that I haven't, I I can't, I can't compare, you know. I mean, I shouldn't just compare it to that film in general. Um, the film is just like split. I feel like between two too many different ideas, you know, like Nick yeah. Cage is, as a failing actress, Nick Cage and family. Nick Cage and Pedro, and then they got like a spy film as well. No, no I just, I just think your brain's too small to comprehend her. You know what, Fitzy? Mad respect for turning up here and talking about that film because guess what? I totally ducked last night, and so I totally ducked it to avoid this exact scenario. So I appreciate <laughs> you got some balls. I, I respect it. Um, oh god, I'll quickly jump in and say I watched this film called Blueback. Uh, Robert Connolly film. I wanted to watch it because it's Aussie and shit. And I read the book in year seven. Um, I wanted to like it more than I did. I think it has a lot of potential. It just ends up being kind of disjointed, like story-wise. Like they do this thing where they cut all between timelines and some of the choices of when they cut, it just sort of feels sort of aimless at times, which is kind of disappointing. But at the end of the day, you know, I still I still enjoyed it. Like it's an, I enjoy Aussie films and seeing, you know, capturing the culture and um harry banner's there and like the most he's basically trying to play a bogan that was kind of funny um and it's so basically about this like uh this fish that lives in this like reef and you know it's sort of got strong environmental themes and shit um but like the fish it's like this big i can't remember what the species is like this big sort of very distinct looking fish thing is like is the name the titular character (laughs) and it was kind of fun because i learned in trivia that it's a puppet but if you watch it, like it, it's a very well done puppeteering. Like that was actually my main takeaway. I, dude, apparently four people puppeteered it, 
five stars for them for their effort because the fish looked phenomenal. I genuinely thought it might have been real, but then like as the film went on, I'm like, there's no way they could get a fish to behave like this. But um, because it's a fucking fish, but it looked very, very good, and um, it was really cute as well. So uh, yeah, shout out to the puppeteers on that one, I guess. Uh, Jaden, what about you? I watched Brain Scan, which is this like I think I think nineties, maybe eighties. I think it was nineties. Um, film about it stars the the kid that's a uh, young. Um, what's the kid from T two? Oh um oh shit. Um, anyway, it stars him, um, and he he's he, he's a terrible actor, but like it's he, he he's like really into like video games and like rock music and shit, and uh, basically he gets he, he likes violent stuff, and he, he gets this new video game called Brain Scan, which like in it, like it like it like fucks with your mind, um, and it makes him think that he's that he's committing murders. Um, it's 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 a, it's a cool concept, um, but like the acting is just really poor. Um, it's pretty dated, like just in terms of story and graphics um, and just everything else. Um, and also like the, the, the whole message of the film is a little, a little bit backwards, but like, I'm not sure if that was the intent or just like how it ended up ha- like coming out. I don't know why I thought it was like a kind of staple. Um, Cause it really isn't in any manner. Um, I just feel like I've heard brain scan a lot. I'm thinking of scanners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the idea of like watching this film because you feel like it's like a pop culture icon, and then you're like, you oh no, it's a, it's definitely not what I thought it was. No, that's hilarious. Um, I feel, dude, oh my god, I feel like is it Edward something? Furlong, Edward something? Furlong. Yes, yeah. nice team effort, team effort, very good. Now comes the segment where we hand the show over to you with our question of the show. Last week we asked you possibly the best question we'll ever ask you and probably should quit this segment after this, although this week's question is actually pretty good too. Uh, what is the most impossible mission you have ever completed? Damn. All right. Luke said, not killing Eggman no matter how pissy he made me at Wilson's prom. I'll leave it in for the record, but uh, that's that's a reference. And then Luke Went on to give another answer, which I'm scrolling to find. He said his second answer is of me making the train when we went to see June. I didn't realize they were both such specific references. My apologies to every other listener. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but that is absolutely, that's my answer for Luke. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely fantastic. I can't get over that still. I feel like s- somehow tomorrow he needs to try and replicate it in some way, but it's not possible. You know, it's impossible. That's an impossible mission. It feels, um, if it, it, it does feel a bit like, espionage movie like it just just oh yeah and just yeah yeah it's just dude, even like how smooth it was you know yeah dude and like even like the, the involvement of like you know the fact that it's walking on a train feels very born supremacy you know mm-hmm. love it yes love it. um and he said the most impossible mission i've ever completed was getting invited on the cinema effect show and finally showing up <laughs> i was initially invited to episode 65 to fill in for zach and also was asked to select the film to discuss which was midnight in paris but then little did I know that my <laughs> oh my god um, uh, that my father had kidnapped me and unexpectedly drove us to Footscray early in the morning. I remember calling Liam if the podcast could be pushed back to a later time of 11 or 12 instead of 9 o'clock. Is that right? You guys were going to record at 9 o'clock? Is that? Yeah, I think Jane had something on. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. I think it might, yeah. Okay, that sounds very unlike you guys, but anyway. Um, uh, but they couldn't, so I eventually missed out because I failed a simple mission, all because of an early Footscray 
uh, market shopping session. I fortunately did make my Cinema Effect debut, but I only invited myself to the Kung Fu Hustle episode because I'm a desperate little twerp that obsesses over Kung Fu films. Uh, so that episode doesn't count. Maybe yeah. back to Paris, Yeah, no, I disagree with this, Andy. I, uh, you're selling yourself short here. Uh, so that episode doesn't count. The fuck two that was your dog, by the way. He, I, I saw him open the door handle. Oh, my yeah. God. As far as I was concerned, two dogs just teleported behind <laughs> me. That was the weirdest shit. Uh, okay. Wait, what? But two weeks later, I was delightfully invited to be on the show for Parasite and actually turned up on that day. Also alongside Luke, who was a fellow C listener. <laughs> Look, guys. If you listen to Cinema Effect, you've got no idea who Luke is, by the way. It's not like he ever comes up on the show. It took 58 episodes since the infamous parental kidnapping incident took place for me to finally get on this show. So I can also consider this to be the most impossible mission I've ever completed. I know how Matt Damon feels about trying to get on Jimmy Kimmel now. <laughs> Second answer is probably watching Captain America, The Winter Soldier. That's oh, really? nuts. He, he, a whole year later. Holy shit. It's, it's crazy to put it in, in terms like that in my head. Absolutely. Hell. God damn. It's weird. Yeah, and, and so the Midnight in Paris thing, that was over two years ago. <laughs> oh, shit. I know. That's that's wild, dude. Yeah, we're going to be like 29 years old and it's just going to feel like the oh, same shit, you know what I mean? Um, why why the Winter Soldier? Why do you bring that up? Oh, I don't know. Hates oh okay. Oh, he's a hater of it. Oh, getting what like getting through it. Yeah, I think that's what it means, yeah. Oh, I didn't know he didn't like it. Okay, okay. That's pretty savage. Um, okay. Racked our brains for this one, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm very curious. Jaden, what did you choose? No, I don't want to go first. I need, to gauge, I need to gauge my answer based on you guys. If it's um, you're welcome or I can do it, it's up to you. Oh, uh, no, okay, I'll go. Um, my, my emotion possible mission. So, February of last year, I think. Um. It was like, you know, summer, uh, you know, holidays or whatever. And my sleep schedule was kind of kind of bad, um, <laughs> as usual. So I was like, um, I'm going to stay up all night and all day and I'm going to reset it. I'm going to like go to bed early the next day, you know. Um, so I wake up in the morning and, you know, coffee, eggs and bacon, you know, all that shit. And I, I'm like, I, I want to rewatch Heat, you know, so I rewatch... This is when I rewatched Heat with the uh, Michael Mann commentary, um, commentary, and I um, that week I like applied for like a few jobs. Um, so so this morning when I've had no sleep, I, I get a call um, from like one of the one of the job people, you know, and they want me to come in for an interview on that on the morning, you know, right now. Um, so yeah, I had to do that. I had to do the interview with like no sleep. Um, so that was fun. And then, and then I got hired, and I had to work the same day, like later that day. So I had to like sleep in between. So yeah, that That's was fun. wild. That was fun, dude. They must have been desperate. I can't believe they that called you and just gave you an interview. Yeah, right that, and then that That's day wild. you start working as well. Cheers. Yeah, they were, they were pretty desperate. I'm not gonna lie. Yes, yeah, sure sounds like it. Sure <laughs> sounds like it. Oh my god. So hang on. To be clear. Just to get this right, you woke up at some stage, uh, you don't have to divulge, some stage during the previous day and then made it through the rest of that day, through the night, through the next day. Is that correct? Well, like I was going to do that. So I'd already made it through the night and it was like the morning, but I was really tired. 
Um, so it was like 10 or something, but I was still really tired. So I didn't even start it. Um, these missions usually end up like with a half nap. They usually fail regardless. But yeah, yeah I wasn't like I was, it was like, uh, I'll, I'll say it was like 24 hours or 20 hours without sleep maybe. You know, it wasn't too crazy, but yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. So what, did you wake up at like evening time? Like the previous where it started, yeah, probably. where it started, yeah, probably, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, that's pretty crazy. Mm. Uh, that is impressive. That's a good answer. I don't know if Jaden's answer is going to touch on this territory, but like I thought, like it, it would be sort of I'm surprised we didn't get any write-ins. I feel like for AI age group, like you know, uni deadlines are sort of a no-brainer sort of answer um, for those scenarios. Um, I don't really, as you guys know, I don't really do tight deadlines. I don't, I, I hand shit in like a week early and all that sort of shit because I'm one of those people. Um, so I was thinking, I, I was honestly struggling, but then it came to me, it dawned on me, and I knew that this was definitely an answer that Jaden was going to resonate with, potentially dislike, I don't really know. But keeping with the continuity of the AFL umpires rant, uh, I remembered that I was an AFL umpire for over two years. <laughs> and uh, that is the most impossible possible mission I ever completed. Um, I guess, I don't know, because you argue I didn't complete it. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like, well, it's just something you do in perpetuity. Like, I don't know, you can't, you don't reach a certain amount of years and say you've done it. So, I don't know, I guess mm-hmm. by, by doing one match, I guess I technically did it and I did many matches. So, there you go. Um Dude, that shit, oh, my God, that shit still, like, has traumatized me to this day. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I don't envy any umpire, and I also, like, can't now can't stand umpires. You know what I mean? You'd think, like, it would create more sympathy, and it does in a way. Like, I understand it, it creates a different kind of sympathy probably than, like, most people have, I guess. But it's not like I'm with the umpires, you know what I mean? It's not like suddenly, like, oh, no, God bless the umpires. Like, dude. I can't stand some of this shit I, I still have to watch now. And particular incidents still haunt me. This is why I can't believe I was able to complete some of these matches, man. Like, don't get me wrong, 95% of the time I was doing my job, you know, people people yell at me, people swear at me. Um, I remember one time an 11-year-old called me four eyes, <laughs> which was hilarious. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that In that particular instance, I was 100% right. Totally true take my word for it um so you know 95 percent in the time i was doing my job and i was doing it fine and i was right okay but there are and and people abuse me for it so you know that's a whole other aspect of it but then there are other times these particular like handful of times i can remember where i totally fucked up 100 percent. everyone was so justified in their hatred for me and that's even more painful you know what i mean there was one time i think in my early days this is such a this is so bad where a kid marked it he dropped it and it was a drop. Like he didn't actually mark it. It was, he did not hold long enough, right? But I'd already blown my whistle that it was a mark too early. <laughs> and so then, so then, because I blow my whistle, he's taken the ball and he's, you know, and everything's fine at that point. Like at that stage, all that's happened is that, okay, the umpire probably called that a mark too early, but it's fine. He blew his whistle. He committed to it. Everyone's fine with it. You know, it's it's fine. He's setting up his little mark. But then I did make the worst decision of my life and decide to retro and decide to undo my, oh. my whistle. And I go, play on, play on. And then like everyone's like everyone's like what the hell are you say play on and then and then, and then the, the kid you know as as he should the kid standing on the mark was like the first to react 
and ran straight at this kid and tackled him. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> I failed to commit. Now I've got to commit to this one. So I've committed to a play on. And now, and I unfortunately have to call this kid holding the ball now. <laughs> so I did. <laughs> and that was terrible. That, that, that one still stands out to me. It's like one of the worst things that any umpire could do. Like make a bad decision and then try and undo it after you've made it. It's like, oh, my God, that's, that's terrible. Did that answer the question? So surviving, surviving umpiring is so, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. Thank you. That's the best way to put it. That was something. I love Jayden. the image of an eleven-year-old kid calling a fifteen-year-old <laughs> you fucking four hours. <laughs> Some of them were brutal, man. Honestly, it's totally true. And like, oh, I remember this one time. This kid like came up to me like three-quarter time, and like I was having to exp- like we were, we were having a debate about the rules of AFL football. Like and we're all and we're all there participating in it. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like there's nothing better defines how flimsy the rules are in that sport. But anyway, Jaden, what about you? Yeah, I don't know. Like I've 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 pulled a few deadline day things that you guys know. Oh know, yeah, thirty six hour sessions, just just in there getting it done. But you know, I was like, this is Mission Impossible. You know, and it needs need something suave, needs something international, international. You know, I was like, oh nice, international. Um. It's only that impossible, but it it, it I, I did shit my pants for a bit. Um, we we had a layover in um, Taiwan. It was we had a layover in Taiwan, and this was uh, right in the midst of like all like the, the like protests and like mainland China takeover shits, and um and 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 when we were, when 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 we were un- unboarding the plane, what do you call it? Fucking disembarking. Well, that's when you take off. I don't know when, when you're getting off. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was being a bit of a dick and, you know, talking shit, you know, like, oh, China, this, China, that, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, you smell that, I smell revolution in the air, you know, like, just, just saying dumb shit. Um, but then 30 minutes later, when it came to, when it, when, it, when it came time to get back on the plane, my fucking passport wouldn't scan. And I was like, oh my God, uh, they, they, they fucking bugged me and they fucking picked up on my audio. I was like, oh no, they're going to detain me. And it, it, it wouldn't scan, and like and like the guy was looking. I was like, "Oh, fucking balls!" <laughs> That's um, um, but then it it did it did scan. Uh, yeah, oh I, I was God. approved to, to 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 board the plane, and I and I made it back to Australia. Thank God. That's, that, that seems literally in like uh, Ghost Protocol, like uh, you know the Russian embassy and the Kremlin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, talk about a branching uh, timeline there. But you, you never made it back. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, same on fucking nine years. Tracy oh. Grimshaw, Grimshaw tell, telling you about an eighteen-year-old kid stuck in China. <laughs> That's crazy, dude. That would have been oh, hundred percent justified. That, that would have been so scary. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, it was just yeah. it, was, it was just for a short bit that I was, I was a bit worried I wasn't gonna make home. <laughs> yeah, you're in this foreign country where it's like, uh, you know, they, they probably if it, if it kept on any longer, they were probably like, oh, this guy's got a fake passport. You know? Yeah, yeah, That's probably. Pretty bad. Yeah. That's pretty bad. So, yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here safely. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Uh, All right. As always, we'd love you to submit your responses, thoughts, and or reviews for next week's film in the YouTube comment section. Send us a DM on Instagram or, you know, just comment on Instagram or whatever. Or join the Discord server. This week, the specific question we'll be asking you is, in a movie based on a true story, which actor looks the least like their real-life counterpart? (laughs) The inception of this question uh, was put maybe in not, as kind of a way, mm. but that's up to the audience's imagination. Yeah, but, yeah. So yeah, let us know. Let us know. Brought up. Did the idea come to you, Fitzy, because you think Killian Murphy looks like 
way younger? Like, what, what, oh, what is no, it? No, no, I mean, the, the, the idea came to me from the origin, uh, the origin question, yeah, of Killian Murphy just being a very attractive man, looking more attractive than Oppenheimer, you know? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Like, he's, like, significantly more attractive than Oppenheimer, but you still, you still see it, though, you know? It's not like... I mean, there yeah, are examples. Yeah. I guess. I guess that there are two categories. There are examples of that where it's like, oh yeah, he looks similar, but definitely more attractive. And then there are examples where it's like, dude, that person looks holy shit. That's like, yeah, that's when, when they show the character at the end of the film, are just totally different, <laughs> different hair, different face, different everything. I feel yeah. like they should be more conscious of that. Like, if if they've got a scenario like that, they shouldn't show a picture. <laughs> I'm yeah. Sorry. Oh god. Uh, as right. soon as you mentioned, there, there was a film that came straight to my mind. That we've all seen. I want to confirm with you guys after the show, like what it's going to be. What is it going to be? It's not going to be your answer next week. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it, but like I just, I just want to see. Like, did you guys have like something that immediately came to mind? No, no, I don't think. All right, okay. Looking forward to hearing that. Uh, but we're doing Oppenheimer next week. Oh, you're so. just trying, doing the intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you're silent, dude. Just no, no, you, yeah, no. You're good. You're good. Yeah, we are. Oh, no, yeah. Okay, right. good. And then that's it. Uh, we're actually seeing it in IMAX. Yeah, it's the only place you should see it. Only place yeah. in the Southern Hemisphere that we can that see. That has it. Yeah, the film. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Really? Yeah, doesn't Sydney have an IMAX? Yeah, but they don't have the real. They don't have. They don't have the the the, the actual film we're seeing, like the actual eighteen oh, really? kilometer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Four yeah. 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 um, K laser losers. Yeah, dude. Did you see? I, oh, I don't know if you ever checked, but on the IMAX website when I booked, you can choose between the 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 film or the four K yeah. laser. And it's just so funny. Like, look at the four K laser. Like, I'm sure the sessions will be pretty full. Like it, at the end of the day, but when I was booking, it's like no one's buying those ones. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're pre-booking the laser, man. You like, you know, you look up on the day and you're like, oh shit. Exactly. That's the leftover. That's when you remember the film came out and you kind of wanted to see it. Yeah. You get. That's what those are the people that get four K laser for sure. Okay, anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Appreciate Liam and Jaden for joining me, as always, through our technical difficulties and everything. All right, have a great rest of your week, and goodbye.